probably $40,000 in debt just from going to school. I was working for the university for the Liberty Online program. And I was yelled at every day about how I wasn't like shipping sprockets. Like I wasn't like selling applications for the online school <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, and then- Was and your then, boss, Mr. Spacely? <laughs> I, there was, okay, so there was like, who was the provost? It was an old, old man that was the provost of Godwin. Uh, Ron Godwin! He came <laughs> like in. like a goat. He came in and he yelled at all of us that worked for the online program. Because if you if you worked at the school, you would get free or reduced, you know, discounted yeah. school or whatever. I played that game too, man. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And he called all of us migrant workers. No like, fucking way. He, he, in a giant meeting of like 300 people that worked for the online school, he was like, you're all here just to get a free degree and none of you care about Liberty University and our online school. You're all just migrant workers coming in to pick the strawberries. We're back with another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. And I'm Casey. And I'm coming to you today from North Carolina again. I feel like I'm always going to and from North Carolina at this point in my life. It does uh, feel like it. Guess it's got plenty of things that bring me here. Now, early April, we were here on the Outer Banks, and now I'm outside of Charlotte. I was here last year uh, visiting my wife's family. So we're just hanging out for the week here. And, uh, Dude, one of the things I was thinking about on the way down, though, was uh, so we used Google Maps, right? Uh, it's about a 13 hour drive. So I left Friday around 3.30 and you make a couple of stops here or there because of kids. Uh, also, we took our dogs, too. So I had, you know, packed for the week and had to put my dog shit in back, too. Dogs were actually fantastic. And that was what I was really worried about. Um, but they just kind of slept in the back the entire drive. Uh, so that was great. And then, um, but yeah, so, you know, I use Google Maps and Google's always like trying to tell you a new way to go, right? Oh, we found a better route and it'll, it'll make you accept it unless you hit no thanks. And my wife pulled up her Google Maps too. She uses, she's got an Apple. Uh, I got, and I don't know if that's the difference or not, but hers was like 35 minutes shorter than mine. Uh, and I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Like... So I would follow hers, um, but I kept mine up too because we were trying to see like when mine might adjust because you know how it like recalculates your route if it's like yeah. Off. So I'm like, so I'm following what hers is saying to do, and mine goes oh recalculating, and then it knocks 35 minutes off, and then it's like it puts me on that route, and then it goes we found a better route, so I hit accept, and it adds 35 minutes, and every single time I follow hers, my Google Maps keeps telling me I found a better route. And it just keeps adding time. Uh, so I went into my settings because I was like, maybe it's just like, I know there's a setting for eco, like shortest distance versus time, uh, which right. only a fucking sociopath would pick that. Like you have to really hate yourself to pick shortest di distance versus time. That's such a bizarre move. And they have a little eco-friendly <laughs> thing. And dude, it's such another way of like corporations guilting people into thinking it's their job to save the planet by shaving 50 miles off their trip instead of, you know, them doing due diligence to not Ooh, fuck this we place. We tried to help you. <laughs> but 
either way, then we ended up pulling up Waze. Do you use Waze at all? No, I've heard of it. I haven't never tried it. It's dope. Uh, it tells you when cops are around and shit. And it was almost like it was like 98% accurate. It was really cool. Dang. But Waze was telling me the entire trip was like an hour shorter than what Google was telling me. And I still am not entirely sure about why, but that's a marketing technique. It's so They're weird. like, don't you want to use Waze? Look it, at how much shorter it is. Faster. Yeah, I'm like, are they just saying it's different? But the whole time I'm like, we're dealing with all this. All I could think about was how there's that like recent, I don't know, ethical conundrum that's been going around because that guy was like, uh, who said that Google created basically a sentient AI. I'm like, yeah, how the yeah. fuck can they make a sentient AI and not predict traffic patterns better than this? Like... <laughs> It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it'll tell you, like, it'll just put you on the route with the worst traffic and then be like, and then it'll reroute you off of it and then be like, oh, shit, sorry. Uh, we told everybody in front of you to go this way, too. And now this way is actually the one that's backed up the most. And they can't figure that out, but they have sentient AI. Yeah. I wonder if Means sells like a uh, like a bathroom scale that always comes up five pounds lighter, too. <laughs> I'd buy it. I bet you that would sell. Probably would. People, are, that's. I like this scale. I mean, it goes in with this uh, post-truth world we live. In. I fe- I believe I'm five pounds lighter. Therefore, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there. Uh, okay, shifting. Uh, and you, I know you got something uh, to throw our way as well. But uh, so I don't know if anyone recalls the movie Big Hero Six. It came out a little while ago. Uh, but there's a new. TV series going, I think it's going to be on Disney Plus called Baymax. I guess with that Baymax was that big white blobby thing from Big Hero 6 maybe. But uh, it's making waves because, so here's an article. This is a bullshit website, uh, Cron. I don't know what the fuck that is. You can find it somewhere else. This is just the one that I pulled up. Um, but they have sparked a controversy yet again. Oh, old Disney. Uh, because... Uh, well, the, the article headline is Baymax sparks conservative outrage over scene featuring transgender man buying period. Pack. So this is going to be a kid series. And it's says that I like, got a little piece here that. I, all right. In the third episode, a 12 year old girl named Sophia heads into an all gender restroom and is horrified to discover she's began her first period right before she's set to perform at the school talent show. Eager to uh, then. Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. Sophia shouts at Baymax, panicking. And the and, and my God, I can't read. Apparently, um, <laughs> and the, Jesus Christ, it's starting to look that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I wasn't prepared for this. Sophia shouts at Baymax, panicking. And the dispenser's empty. Eager to help, Baymax goes to a local supermarket to retrieve some period. Overwhelmed with a variety of options, Baymax asks a woman which she would recommend. At first, the woman is taken aback, but notes that tampon notes the tampons she always uses. Other helpful customers in the aisle, including a dad buying product for his daughter, notice, and also give Baymax their recommendations. Among them is a transgender man wearing a transgender flag shirt. Who tells Baymax, I always get the ones with wings. The huggable bot is then shown carrying multiple overflowing bags filled with different options down the school hallway. So, well, let me tell you something. Okay, uh, let me give you the Kansas perspective on it. That's like, what I came here for. I think there's a there's a term for this, and it's called shoving it down our throats. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, you're pushing your lifestyle on us by allowing us to know that these people exist. <laughs> to like to not mention it, not discuss it, just yeah. just 
have a cartoon like a like an npc in the cartoon wearing a, a transgender flag shirt yeah which kids are pro- well some kids might be aware of but it's they're only going to be aware of it if they've been made aware of it parents who have chosen to not put that information in their kids brains are probably not going to pick up on that at all i also think it's funny because was a movie called big red the one about the girl who turns into a fox there was something related to her having her period in that they allude to it and that's like a coming of age movie for young girls okay um and people got mad about that not people um well i guess conservative evangelical christians are people not not the general public i mean and it was all like people upset about it for whatever i don't I don't want my kids. It was weird for my young boys. They just, whatever, throw out whatever talking points they can. And I'm like, I, to me, I mean, young girls, young girls are getting their periods earlier and earlier, uh, at least as far as I know. But if this is a movie for like, I don't know, I mean, or a TV show that like 12 year old girls are going to watch 11. I mean, some girls get their period at 11. Like, so like, it's somewhat subtle. Like boys aren't really going to get like, and even if they do, like, who cares? Like, this is something that's going to happen to every girl they know. And I think, like, Disney's just doing that. Like, if this is going to keep happening to everyone for the rest of humanity, it's weirder to not talk about. So why not just, like, represent it in some comedic form or fashion and make it feel less daunting less, uh, and, and scary? Yeah. And also, I think something else that needs to be noted here is, well, representation matters. And we understand that. So I, look, all these shows and movies normalizing uh preteen girls first periods i think that's awesome uh but i'm not going to rest until we see young boys waking up after wet dreams uh i think we need to <laughs> i think we need to normalize that uh, that was scary that's that was scary. less uh less cute <laughs> They, they they get up out of their bed and the the sheets just follow them into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the kid just yells for his mom. <laughs> I, uh, dude, I I don't. These people like make such a huge deal out of such small thing. I don't. I feel like we're at a point now where everybody should just kind of lean in and be like, you know, it is scary out here. You guys should move to the woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> northern idaho is really nice and very remote you can't even get wi-fi there that would be a great place for you and you know all your spawn i know it's like uh the village m night shamamalan's the village just do that like they might be happier setting up that world and all the monsters in the the, woods are just the bad color yeah Yeah, (laughs) it's just it's just transgender flags yeah (laughs) just cartoon (laughs) drawings of ovaries Oh my god. Well, uh Disney is actually a piece of what I wanted to talk about today and I feel like this is going to be more of just a teaser. I think we're going to do an episode on this fantastic book that I bought. I I read the synopsis on Amazon. I think this got synopsis. advertised to me. Yeah, the synopsis. I guess synopsis, isn't it? <laughs> my bad. But uh I think this popped up in like a Facebook ad or something like that. And after reading the synopsis, I was like, man, I got to I, I have to buy that for entertainment <laughs> value. So it's called I think that's Hollywood percent of your money goes right. Just buying goofy shit for entertainment value. You have a whole yeah, budget, like a whole line. I'm losing so much like square footage to just dumb stuff that got advertised to me on like Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so the book's called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. And it's by Frank Turek. And Zach Turek, the dinosaur hunter. 
Uh, the, <laughs> our, uh, it's what's the is it what's the relation between these two? They're uh, brothers, son and Dilf. Dilf, <laughs> Dilf and Dilf. Yeah, they're like father and son. They wrote this together. Uh, okay, Frank Turek is the president of CrossExamined.org and the co-author of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Okay, I can tell I'm going to really like this guy. And Zach Turek, his son, is an officer in the United States Air Force and a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Sounds like he got a very one-dimensional education. Yeah. Well, I thought this was just a funny concept for a book because I used to, like, even at my most devout and uh, and guilty over... Not not feeling spiritual and when we're supposed to, like I used to just hate it when they would take something cool and like try to make a Bible lesson out of it. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way. I because it was done with so many things. Lord of the Rings, notably, dude, they killed Lord of the Rings. Finding God in Lord of the Rings might have been one of the books that somebody wrote about it uh, that I remember cycling around and just thinking, why do you have to do that? Yeah. And it's funny because like they kind of lay out this the like the preamble to the book. One of the things they talk about is like, you know, Hollywood is obviously evil and horrible and we hate them. Yeah, uh, of course. But they just like snicker at the fact that like Hollywood in all their God hating fury, like just can't seem to avoid drawing on Christian principles and themes for their movies and stuff. It's like what like the the human condition. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, that definitely was own that. Hell. That's so funny, dude. That really was the catch-all. It was like anytime they could relate something back to Christianity, uh, they'd be like, they would always pull that one out of their ass. And well, you can't write a story without drawing on the themes of of the Christ story, and that that verifies that it's true. Or you could, you know, look at it the other direction and say that the Christ story is drawn on the same themes that people have been working through and with since the dawn of time. Uh, and there's probably a middle ground to that too. And you might find me somewhere, somewhere there, but it's just a overplayed pedantic way of trying to say, look at all the proof we have. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Well, it's like a chicken or the egg argument, but you yeah. have to remember that the egg was birthed at conception. So there actually is no egg. There's only chicken. No, that's why the like eggs are, are basically just birds like even on the eggs you eat well eggs you eat are unfertilized eggs so i guess they're um i guess those are okay chicken periods yeah that really i guess that is what they are also isn't it cool that an egg is actually a single cell i didn't know that yeah anyway well well, i can't refute it so that is cool i have to google it while you uh (laughs) read some of this to make sure i'm not completely wrong Okay, well, I'm jump. I'm gonna jump in because part of what they're laying out is like this whole, you know, biblical theme where they talk about good versus evil and how bad the world is and all this stuff, you know, um, and basically how nobody's good, you know, classic standard stuff. One of the one of the things they said is we all agree that this world isn't quite right. The things that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Even atheists point out plenty of things they believe are wrong with the world. But if things aren't the way they're supposed to be, then there must be some objective supposer, God, whose nature defines the way things are supposed to be. 
Otherwise, it would just be a matter of opinion that we ought to love one another and not murder, rape, or otherwise abuse one another. Those moral truths are not mere human opinions, but are instead grounded in the nature of God, and we are supposed to obey them. I mean, how do you refute that? I I don't, and I won't. (laughs) (laughs) So further down, he goes into like basically like why we, but we don't obey them. He likes to talk about atheists. He kind of pops them back in once in a while. He talks about, you know, the terrorists in Afghanistan and Iraq. Oh, yeah. America's number one threat, right? Yeah. Talks about uh, the Nazis because, oh, this is fresh. This is like this year. No way. It just came out in 2022. Dude, and he's still going hard on the uh, terrorism in the Middle East thing. Yeah, there's a little bit of military worship in here. Okay. But, uh I'm so tired of people talking about the Nazis. Like there have been plenty of examples of horrible atrocities committed before and since the uh, the Nazi regime. Like it's so lazy. Come on, come, draw on something else. Like talk about Pol Pot or something like that. Every single person claims the Nazis is like the example of what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But he says even our behavior in so-called civilized America provides a clue that demonic forces are real. Why else do many in our society now celebrate the killing of millions of unborn children in the name of convenience to the point where people are encouraged to, quote, shout your abortion and demand that the government pay for it? You knew that where that was headed, didn't you? Yeah, I saw that one coming a mile away, I guess. That is another. I love the default to killing millions of unborn. Like, oh. It's not the same. And you you know they don't think it's the same because they don't act as though it's the same. If if in this country there was actually people being... Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I guess we did some fucked up shit to the Japanese during with the internment camps during World War II and everyone was just kind of like... Yeah, we didn't kill them. Wash their hands. Yeah, they, we, a lot of them, we didn't. But no, it's just weird, dude. That default to like... Kill, the default to talking about mass murder... And abortion is also really lazy, I get, I think, because it's like they're painting with the same broad brush that, you know, the far left is painting with. Like these people are just hate women and want to control all women. And of course, there are those people in the mix. But for the most part, it's like they do think it's killing. And I guess you should expect a reaction out of somebody that thinks that. But on the flip side, they do think it. They they don't act like they really think like they just like vote once or twice uh, 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 when I guess when they have the opportunity to vote in a Republican and then be like, well, I did all I can do. Some of them might be giving yourself the quote moral high ground in like 10 seconds or less. Yeah, that's what it's used for for everything. Yeah, exactly. And the the scale of atrocities kind of goes down from there. It says, why else? Do we have a personal desire for revenge against those who hurt us, one that goes beyond what's necessary for dispassionate justice? Why else do people, quote, cancel their fellow citizens simply for holding a different political opinion? He said that people like I don't know. Revel Maybe in, he can uh, tell us. I think he's pretty familiar <laughs> with that one, too. I think he's gone to something, yeah. Uh, one of the things he says is, like, that people, like, revel in in cruel and sadistic behavior and stuff. And his example is like, look up a list of popular podcasts these days and you'll almost always find shows about unsolved murders near the top of the list. Yeah, who cares? Well, that explains it. That explains why everything <laughs> is so bad today. Not, It's not about the, it's not that there are those things that exist. I think unsolved murders are most fascinating because the killer's still out there. 
Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know what's creeping around your backyard? Also, yeah. people like to hear about, you know, when you talk about atrocities and wanting to learn about them, it's like, I guess he just skirts by all the uh, atrocities committed in the name of the Christian church. Those are barely blips on the radar, but let's let's land on people wanting to listen to a podcast about an unsolved murder. Yeah, it's there's so many things in here that are just such lazy assertions, but this this was the one that I figured you would really enjoy. I could write one. Dude, we could easily write a book like this with I mean, yeah, within 30 days. All these are none of those talking points are new. We've been listening to those same ones for at for like 30 years, dude. Nothing, you know, not, nothing, nothing that you just read is new in, in that no. world. It's, it's all a rehashing of the same tired stuff. That's all we, we should that's do. That's even rehash. That's what we like A project it. where we write this book, but instead of superheroes, we pick apart like really popular horror movies, like the most gruesome and grotesque and pick the Christian themes out of them. Yeah. <laughs> that could be fun, dude. <laughs> Christian themes in a Serbian film. Okay, so this, this was the one that I wanted to get to here because this is uh, this little section is entitled "What Good Is Evil." So we're gonna pick apart the idea uh, that like, I like this play on words there. Yeah, clever. He said, "I Frank had just finished my I don't have enough faith to be an atheist presentation at Wright State University when a young atheist approached the microphone with a trap disguised as a question. He said, okay. <laughs> what would you think of a parent who told his child not to touch a loaded gun, but then left him alone with it? The child then shot and killed himself. I said, that would be a bad parent. He responded, okay, so let's replace the gun with an apple. God did the same thing to Adam and Eve. Doesn't that make God a bad parent? The young man seemed to have a good point. Why would an all-knowing good God put the tree of garden put the tree in the garden if he knew Adam and Eve would disobey him? According to Christian theology, all the pain and suffering that we experience began with them. We're all now paying for the sin of Adam and Eve. How is that there? Hold on to your hat here because we're I'm, about dude, to I'm debunk this. Gripping. We're about to skip over this trap that this this atheist prick set for him okay he says let's make sure the analogy works i said in your analogy the parent represents god right right well what if the parent had the power to resurrect the child what if he gave the child a choice to be resurrected or not the young man paused he could see that his analogy was flawed because it treated God as though he were a mere human being powerless to correct a tragedy. Unlike a human parent, God can resurrect anyone who dies. And that's what Christianity teaches. That the ends justify the means in all cases. <laughs> oh, fuck, dude. You should have seen this guy's face. He was just in a stupor drooling on the microphone. Well, you know, he was right off afterwards. He was in a stupor because he couldn't believe how stupid that response was that he just walked away in shame for like just secondhand embarrassment is what he walked away with. He was just like, holy shit, this guy's for real. There's absolutely no reasoning with a guy like this because he lives in a fantasy world where you can just make up caveats that allow you to keep your cognitive dissonance alive and well. <laughs> It's so true. There's so much stuff in this book that it makes you like this guy does a lot of like atheist debates. I, can, I, I yeah. saw on his YouTube channel. He has a lot of stuff like have I just I was just talking to April. I'm like, why are people doing this? Like, why are people engaging with this guy? It's this, bad on like, them. It's it's 
like you're never going to get anywhere because he just makes up new rules as he goes along. That's what it is. It's literally changing the rules as you play and uh, like just no one being able to do it. It's like, did you watch um, Spirit Quest? Did you watch the show Spirit Quest on Apple TV about the game no. developers making like a, it was basically like a, they make like a, a World of Warcraft game. It's like the biggest game. Someone like hacks into it and like and is able to like, they're trying to figure out how to get this hacker out and he can he can just kind of like manipulate the game as he plays it and give himself all the greatest things and they're trying to like figure out who this person is so they can boot him out and uh save the game because it's losing people because he just keeps like leveling cities and fucking everything up that's that like in his mind that's like he just he got he he has the cheat codes it's the game shark version of life and it's it, it, like this there is no arguing or reasoning with those kinds of people it gets, you just have to like shake your head and walk away and let them think they won like have the debate or not they're gonna walk away thinking they won so just don't even give them the, the time of day yeah well and like the whole premise is so dumb it's like okay let's let's go into this fantasy world where the the parent can resurrect the kid like is the only way to teach them that a gun is dangerous to let them shoot themselves with it and then resurrect. Like, is that (laughs) the best possible teaching method? Yes. And also like you kind of set this analogy up wrong anyways, because you're saying that like the parent explained to the kid that the gun was dangerous and all this stuff. Like God didn't do any of that in the garden of Eden. He's just like, Hey, that tree don't eat it. (laughs) It was like no context. There was no lesson. It was just like a, litmus test for if you'll do what i want yeah yeah and it was uh you know fundamentally different than a gun fundamentally different than something that can like blow your brains this wasn't about whether or not you kill yourself it was about whether or not you doom humanity yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah this and also it also seems to miss the whole idea that this is the other thing that drives me nuts about atheists with these gotcha questions about the you're, you're talking about a story with magic trees and a talking snake there's no good end here it's always going to turn out stupid because they're atheists piss me off with that shit because they're coming at it from the perspective of that it's real too stop entertaining them on their level like don't fucking meet them on their home field when it comes to this shit because it's obviously a story if people can't see that don't engage with them as though it's real and try to get them in a gotcha moment because there's always going to be a magic way out there's magic loopholes if you're dealing with magic stories and it's just a waste of your time and it digs them in deeper because every every time that they have those conversations and they walk away feeling a little bit more victorious they're just that much more of an asshole about it later and they can write a book where they make it sound like you were just stupefied by his yeah. cheating <laughs> <laughs> there's a so story can- called uh the invisible gardener it's like a I don't know if I've, I think I mentioned it a while back on here, but basically the story is uh, it's just look it up if you want the whole thing. Cause it's really good. Uh, but it, the cliff notes version in the shitty retold abridged version by me is these two guys are walking in the woods and they come to like this perfect garden, like, and someone goes, Oh wow. Someone, someone's obviously taking care of this garden. Um, and they go back and forth uh, basically like, well, they wait. They keep waiting. They're like, maybe there's a gardener. And they wait, and they don't find anyone. And he goes, well, maybe the gardener's invisible. And then it's like, well, maybe the gardener only comes when we're not. It's like the guy who thinks that there has to be a gardener because they found a garden in the woods is every time that there isn't 
evidence for it comes up with a new qualifier for why they can't see it or see the gardener. And it's like the, the point of the story is that a, a god with so many qualifiers around it is hardly hardly a god at all anyway. Like if we have to put all those qualifiers on it, is, is it real? Like does that does it exist? Yeah. This is what it feels like to me. And I it's just a qualified god. That's that's the Christian evangelical christian god is like the, they paint it as this all-powerful being that explains the reason that everything's here but when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it all these qualifiers that basically make him null and void yeah and i don't know that there's so many like stupid little things like that 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 i and i'm sure that these books are all full of this kind of stuff where they just like say something and assert it as if it's fact and it's not even questionable you know, like at one point he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned, not once. People around him, you know, his disciples were with him for three years and they testified that he never sinned once. And we know from sources written elsewhere or discussions we've had elsewhere that they are good historical sources. What? what? <laughs> it's like it's like 15 things there that like. You got to go out on a limb just to follow along with the guy. Yeah, there's assumed premises constantly. That's why so, you can't like we've talked about this before, but you can't. Uh, oh, we talked about it with um, with um, Ash and Scott from Boys Bible Study. It was like the the idea, like walking into those movies without understanding so, like basic premises or a lot of premises, they don't make sense. And that's how these books are too. Like you, you're not going to hand that book to an atheist and be like, let me know what you think. They're going to be like, I can't even follow this. Like everything, every statement he makes assumes that I know 1000 things about the world you live in. And I know nothing. Yeah. I, I, it, I don't know. It's so clearly written for the audience. That's already a part of it. You know, it's definitely not written to convince people of anything. Mm -mm. He kind of goes from there and just talks about, you know, free will. Why would God allow, you know, blah, blah, blah. Love cannot exist without free will, free choice. Yes, free choice allows for the possibility of evil, but it is the only way love can exist. Love must be freely given. It cannot be forced. God could squash all evil, blah, 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 blah. You know, instead of questioning God for giving Adam and Eve the opportunity and ability to sin, we really should be thanking him. If God hadn't granted us such freedoms, we would be nothing but moist robots, unable to love Ew. or experience meaningful relationships. Is the moist robot the new sentient AI that Google's working on? <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> I don't know. And then it goes, there's a, there's like a piece here that we might just have to save it for another day, but he talks about like the purpose of suffering and why it's actually good that people suffer. What, and what does it connect this shit to superheroes? Well, it it's basically like setting up the premise for all of their viewpoints before they get into the superhero stuff. Okay. And the points are just like all over the place. Oh yeah. So one he, end it'll uh, be like, I you think know, the pages to his outline got like, he dropped them uh, in a rush to the publishing company and just like threw them together in whatever way they could fit. And was like, Here, here's the outline. And they're like, yeah, that that's fine. We're not paying attention anyway, because we know your base is going to read this stupid fucking book anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they just put their stamp of approval on it without even really sifting through it They're like it, it'll make us some money here's an example real quick before we introduce the guest here uh he's talking about basically greater goods cannot even be achieved unless there's suffering involved 
And then he connects it this way. He says, think about children. What do you call children who get everything they want? Spoiled. What's spoiled about them? Their character. You can't give children or adults everything they want. If you do, you'll ruin them. Instead of developing character that defers to and honors others, giving children everything they want shrinks their souls and turns them into self-absorbed brats. They become like narcissistic, entitled celebrities, ready to throw a temper tantrum unless they get everything, unless everything goes exactly their way. Without some opposition to our egos in the form of pain, suffering, and struggle, we would all become even more selfish and hellish than we already are. So, when you think about Happy. poverty or disease, the upcoming uh, hunger crisis in you know, parts of Africa and, and the Middle East and stuff like that, uh, war that's really goes unexplained from, from any logical standpoint, like all of that, you got to think about the good involved in it. And that's that like the ones that live, they're coming out of it with character. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's not, that's, that's nothing to shake a stick at. If you no, ask I me, mean, it's look. Again, ends justify the means. So if they got to go through some awful shit to come out, uh, not so bad. I guess it was all worth. It. Not to mention <laughs> that so many people don't come out great. Like they're not exactly refined by the fire. They're just beaten down and left in poverty and have a hard time getting through uh, their difficult lives. And I don't see a lot of these people uh, spending their time trying to figure out how to solve that problem. So. They could just pick and choose the uh, examples that work for them. Oh, this person held on strong after going through a whole bunch of shit. Then we'll, that person's the person we'll graft ourselves to. That's our guy. And everyone else is just not as good as that person. If they tried as hard, then they could be. And that's the message of Christianity. If you tried harder, you could be better. Forget about all that uh, saving grace bullshit. <laughs> yeah. If at any point you start to feel a little guilty about what's happening around the world or in your backyard, just remember that life is but a vapor and yeah. uh, it's, it's Filthy all going to be bitch. gone soon. So don't sweat it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. And, and you know what? All the stuff is the small stuff. That's usually, that's the fall. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, we'll yeah. have to get to uh, some more that maybe we can actually get to the superhero parts. Um, in the, when we do a solo episode on this, because it's pretty long considering he's saying things like Captain America is all good. That's his superpower is goodness. Yeah, just just sheer goodness. No real. I actually am interested to see what his issue, how he gets to uh, what he has to say about that, because there's I think there's probably some holes in maybe some of his arguments. So let's definitely there's definitely this. some holes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he has a real hard time with the force in Star Wars. He does. It's scary. <laughs> that shit's scary. Uh, before we go ahead and introduce Ben Soy, I meant to do this at the top of the episode. So if you got through this here, then great. Uh, last week when we talked about the history of evangelicalism and how they how it's started with uh, John Darby and ended with them caring about abortion. Uh, I got a little tripped up on the timeline uh, in my notes because I had written something down wrong. Um, and that was obviously apparent in the episode. Casey had mentioned that I pointed out that some of that timeline was off uh, around William Bell Riley. Um, he's the guy who started that. Uh, he had the first Baptist church, but he was the one he started like one of those Bible colleges to try to train up people to you know, take up the 
torch and fight against secularization and things like that. Uh, but it was, he's the one that when he died, he had set it up so that way Billy Graham would take over his college. And Billy Graham was the one who was really thrusted evangelicalism into the cultural narrative again and got them reengaged in society. And William, uh, William Bell Riley's whole thing was like, that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to get everyone reengaged. And the thing that I had kind of fucked up was the Scopes trial uh, and his arguments with uh, William Jennings Bryan, uh, because that was what, what the Scopes trial was in like 25 ish, 1925 or something like that. But it was his whole like belligerence around that and trying to rally Christians against the, ev- the with this whole anti-evolution thing that people got a bad taste in their mouth for Christianity. And it was after that, that they kind of like withdrew and people didn't really want to get involved in that shit. And then, um, he kept trying to pull people into that world. And he saw that, you know, Billy Graham might be the guy for that, which is why he won his college anyway. So I had the scopes trial later around that time, uh, that Billy Graham took over his college, but it was much earlier. It was because of that, that he was in the aftermath of that, that he was trying to find a way to reengage Christians in in popular culture and politics. So wanted to correct that. And then yeah. the, uh, I think uh, if we do some more episodes where we take a more historical look at some things that have happened or whatever, we, we didn't, I didn't even think about it until somebody brought it up on the discord that we probably need to like list our sources and stuff like that. Yeah, probably. Well, we mentioned the NPR uh, thing in the uh, podcast in, in the episode and in the show notes. So that is listed there uh but yeah there were also the things that uh jeremiah was reading from and the articles that he had pulled political articles he had pulled up so we probably should have cited those as well i would like to do more things like that uh and i think and just you know we need to be a little bit more transparent and uh get with the sources that we pull from so people can look that up for themselves if they would like and then um also, maybe not fuck my notes up. That would be good. But <laughs> yeah, you live and you learn. And I'll, I'll put around. them in here for this book. You know, turn uh, to yeah. <laughs> Captain America verse twelve. But all around, uh, I stand by everything else. So if you want to fight about it, come fucking fight me. Um, <laughs> also, okay. So our guest this week is Ben Soy. Ben, I absolutely love Ben Soy. Who does? I don't know if I've ever met someone who doesn't love Ben. Soy. Um, I knew Ben. You'll find out quite quickly that. Ben and I knew, met in college, um, and he was someone I had been wanting to have on for a while because I love every conversation I've ever had with him. And there was a time where him and I met up years ago, and it was the last time that we had seen each other that I thought he was on his way out of Christianity. And then he took a, a much different turn, and I was, I've always been interested in having a conversation with him about that. And talking to him about his life, because there was a lot about him that I, I don't know. You know, you just meet people in college. You don't actually hear their family history as much. And I don't know. I was so I, it was so fun talking to him. And I think everyone's going to enjoy this conversation just because he's such a, a lovely. So, yeah, I don't know if you have cool. anything to add, Casey, but no, just that it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed meeting him. I think you'll uh, you'll like the conversation if uh, if you're not in the discord. We keep we're trying to remember to mention it on every episode because it's actually we've got quite a few people in there now. It's pretty active. There's a lot of really cool people that weigh in a lot to share memes, stories, uh, talk about whatever family drama is going on right yeah. now, you know, in your end of life right now. But if you want to meet some cool people, 
that have had some similar experiences, join the Discord. You can find the link on our Instagram profile in the bio. And if you like the podcast, if you're enjoying it, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Leave us a review there. It helps out a lot. And oh, what did Maybe you say? Leave We're a word or ranking two. now, right? On the yeah, we. Uh, I mean, if you go by listen notes, uh, but we had been yeah, we crept up from they're, the. Uh, they're the means of uh, podcast ratings. Yeah, I'm not really Please. sure how. <laughs> I'm not really sure how they level them out, but yeah, uh, from uh, top five percent to top three percent. So that was an exciting shift. How's about? that so yeah we really appreciate it and uh yeah enjoy our episode and conversation with ben soy hey everybody we're back with our guest benjamin soy ben hey benjamin i don't know if anyone calls you benjamin (laughs) no you can't my uh my, my wife when she wants my attention calls me benjamin but oh you must get benjamin a lot i imagine whoever you're i can't imagine you being married to somebody without them constantly wanting the attention. That's right. That's right. That's a good. special thing to have. I'm yeah. glad I have it for the next hour change. Yeah, totally, man. I'm so stoked to be here. This is uh, this is a great moment in my life. Without hyperbole, I say that. I I think last time we spoke was it was over five years ago. Yeah, and it was you had like a layover flight in Boston, and yeah. that was the year. I think that was the year that I lived out there. So that had to have been like seven or eight, seven. Jeez. It we, doesn't feel like uh, we two years immediately disappears because of COVID. Like that's so right. Th- that time doesn't really count. We but, which is met probably up, why it feels like five. Yeah. We met up in a park and I forget which park in Boston, but sat on a park bench and maybe smoked cigarettes and maybe talked about life and all the things that were frustrating us. Yeah. And actually what's so funny is that is what, um, Thinking back on that conversation and then like, we'll get into all of it, but just to set it up, I thought for sure you were on your way out of Christianity. You were just like, you were like beelining it for the door. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, this guy, because I I think I still felt like I was more firmly planted in it at the time. And I was like, at a point in my life where I was fine with people choosing otherwise, that's not necessarily a feeling you have, you know, when you're still in the more fundamentalist mindsets. But I was like, oh, I think. He sounds like he's kind of, um, and then he did a 180 at some point or yeah. not entirely one. I'm, there's a lot of nuance to it, but I, I start seeing like the direction you go and I'm like, this is, he tricked me. He tricked <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I like, I spent two years as a pastor after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. I would love it if this all began with like one of those moments where you're really sick and you're like, Dear God, if you don't, if you can just stop me from puking, I'll go to seminary. I swear I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a wild ride. So what? Okay, I want I want to like set the kind of the backdrop a bit because I don't. We used to hang out. Uh, you lived in a really cool house. We call mm-hmm. it the Yearly House, cleverly mm-hmm. named Yearly because it was on Yearly Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was just like, that was the house that everyone congregated. How many people did you have living there at one point? We had 15 dudes at one point yeah. and I think in eight bedrooms and that is including like the dingy the ass basement and the moldy <laughs> ass attic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my god! And I think for every dude, there was three holes in the wall somewhere. <laughs> and for every two dudes, there was a broken window. Yeah, there were some angry young men that lived there. <laughs> I, I recall walking in one time, uh, and the heat had broken, so the oven was put up to five hundred degrees and just left open. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got it. Poverty, man. <laughs> one of those places you're like well we don't pay for electricity but we do pay for heat so i know and I, like i occasionally because i do music i'll talk to folks who are like really into the diy like crust punk scene or whatever and uh, this is always the the story that i tell that gives me some semblance of street cred is let me tell you about the few years that i lived with 15 dudes in an old victorian house yeah <laughs> A lot of experiments. Look like your hygiene is too good to have like, yeah. any sort of cred with with the crust punks. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I'd argue you were one of the cleaner people then. I was. I was a dandy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a dandy. But so for the listeners, this was all at Liberty. Uh, everything yeah. at this house was ran incredibly contrary to the Liberty way. And I think if an RA even saw it from a distance, everyone would have been expelled from that school. Right. Uh, I'm surprised there were no real narcs. You guys never got narked on. Cool. No. Well, I think half of us had dropped out of Liberty by that point. Like I know <laughs> I, I had. And so, yeah, it was not a space where we were totally it was an alternative community within a larger like christian subculture in the city right yeah that's a really good way to put it yeah 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 so what the heck brought you to liberty let's i don't know i don't i meet you there i'm sure i've heard you like a little bit about your background but for the most part everyone i met at college i know them from college on you don't know much about where they came from or right how they chose liberty Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in West Virginia called Nitro. um, And my parents split up when I was like 15 or 16. And it was like in a pretty like dramatic fashion where like my mom left in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, and I have not really, I, I can maybe count on one hand the amount of times that I've seen her in person since. And so my dad responded. Wow. Yeah, shit, right? Can my we dad... trudge that up? Is that, like, <laughs> I'm, I already have a million questions. Okay, no, no, okay keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's all stuff that I've I've uh, I've I have dealt with and am dealing with in therapy and and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But like, um, my dad basically sort of emotionally disappeared after that point because he was just like so depressed that like his marriage fell apart and his life was falling apart, you know, that sort of stuff. And so I essentially from like 15 or 16 had no real parental guidance, at least active. There was this like, and we had moved to West Virginia to like live, stay with my grandma, my mom's mom. Um, and okay. so grandma became essentially the stable person in my life, like in all the moves and shifts of like my dad, maybe like a year later moved to Wisconsin for a job and was sort of trying to get his shit back together as a person. And he gave and you me, stayed with your grandma. Is yeah. That- and and okay. dad, you know, uh, to his credit, he was like, I would love for you to come with me. Um, but I know that you have a lot of solid friends and you know when you're 16 or 17 or whatever your your friends are more important than your parents anyways at that point yeah. 
And so I just like dad gave me the option to go with him. And I was just like, I'm just going to stay with grandma, finish out high school. My religious upbringing was super complicated because for some reason, my dad is like, uh, like mainline liberal Protestant. He's not evangelical. He's not like um, particularly conservative theologically or whatever. But for whatever reason, they made the decision when I was going into middle school to put me in a fundamentalist Baptist high school called Cross Lanes Christian School. And <laughs> and it was like hardcore, like no rock music, uh, no like no dancing, no movies, like totally were the 1950s. Like it was just it was affiliate. If you know Bob Jones University, it was like an affiliate oh, yeah. of Bob Jones, right? Have you asked him sign. why they put you there? Uh, this is apparently the public schools in uh, the city that we were in, in West Virginia were not great. And so they felt like, let's put Ben in a private school. And I think the situation was, this was the cheapest one. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, it's just, okay. So Monday through Friday, I'm going to high school at this hyper cultish, just super legalistic, just sort of environment And my grandma, who, you know, like is raising me after my parents split up, she takes me to St. Luke's Episcopal Church, which is like very, very like almost Unitarian Universalist in belief. It's just like everything goes. We're we're spiritual people. And so I had a bunch of friends who were going to sort of fast forward this. I had a bunch of friends who were going to Liberty as college and uh my friends from the Episcopal Church were like, "No way in hell you can go to Liberty. They're too, they're too wackadoo. They're conservative. They're crazy. Don't go there." Oh and wow! My fundamentalist Baptist teachers were like, "You cannot go to Liberty. They're going to hell in a handbasket. They're too liberal." They're- <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I had no idea who you know Jerry Falwell was, and I had no idea the like the historical context of why the you know, the, the Liberty was founded and the moral majority and like all that sort of shit. But like, I um, went to Liberty because, you know, two reasons I had friends that were going there. And I was like, I want to go to Christian college because I want to be a youth pastor because I really need it. You know, like after my parents split up, there were some really solid people that were Christian people that just started inviting me over for dinner. And like, you know, they're basically, you, you know how it is. It's like when Christians try to mentor an at-risk youth or whatever, yeah. there's like two, there's two models. <laughs> of that. And I like, I painfully became aware of both of those sort of mindsets where like, there was this one dude who was literally was like, he said to me like, you're, but you better pull yourself up. Like verbatim said, you better pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get, you know, get your crap together. And he said, I am here to kick your butt into gear and this relationship will thrive as long as you act right and respond right. And I was 16, like, 17. Here, this is optional. You don't have any control of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I essentially was like, Oh, uh, you know, and you know, that instills no trust or safety. Right. And so uh, I had just been betrayed multiple or let down, I should say multiple times by the folks that were like supposed to be ride or die with me, my parents. 
And so I was like, no way in hell I'm going to treat this dude well. So I like turned up the heat and was actually like extra uh, an asshole to him. And <laughs> after I, I was very proud of this at the time and I still am kind of proud of it. Like I made him quit being my mentor after like four or six weeks or whatever. <laughs> it's like you had to make it. The funny thing is, is like you were never his mentee. Yeah. Just mentory. You just had to make him realize that he, ah, I quit. It's like, you never had the job. You literally yeah. have just been showing up. <laughs> You, you right. dropped out of some, a class you were auditing, dude. You didn't. <laughs> That's right. This is just some random guy, like from yeah. church or whatever. This is this is just a guy that like literally started going to the Episcopal Church and was like, uh, I think he was like on a mission to find an at-risk teenager to like do this with. And so we had no relationship other than we went. He went to the same church as my grandma, right? And he took me fishing once, and it was really awkward. And like you know, it's just like. It wasn't a great relationship start to finish, but thankfully I saw, so, so like I've sort of lumped this into like, okay, are you trying to start a relationship to influence somebody or are you trying to start a relationship just to be present with them? Um, and like, honestly, that's in my like darkest days of when I'm like questioning everything about what's the matter with American Christianity and then trying to like, see, can I even get close to is there a way to even unclutter the space and get back to like original jesus original gospel original way of you know like way truth and life of jesus or whatever like the thing that i think saves me there's this thomas burton quote of like it's the reality of personal relationships that will save us all it's just like jesus just came to be with me us whatever and so that was thankfully <laughs> modeled in like a couple a couple not a lot but like a couple like high school mentors who were actually just legit non-narcissistic human beings and were like just let me invite you over for dinner kid and like let's just hang out and i got the sense that like they they were there primarily just to like love and care for me so anyways the yeah. reason why i went to liberty was like, I'm going to be a youth pastor because essentially, you know, like be the person that you wish you had when you were a kid. And uh, and so that's why I ended up at Liberty be to study youth ministry. Now, okay, so Pastor Bootstraps, how, how old is this guy? <laughs> he was in his 50s. Yeah, I think I was a, I was 50s. 16 or 17 and he was in, he was like a gray hair. But he who knows? He could have been 35, you know, to me. I would be like, well, this is old yeah. guy. <laughs> What, what did he do for a living? I have no was idea. Was he ex-military or anything like that? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the demeanor that it would not surprise me if he uh, if he wasn't. But, like, dude never talked about himself. He just was, uh, like, in a vulnerable sort of genuine sort of way. The only time he talked about himself was basically to say, like, I've overcome obstacles. You can overcome obstacles, too. And, you know, and that was four weeks of sporadic four to six weeks of sporadic and unhealthy relationship uh at one of the most tumultuous times of my life right so i yeah. probably don't remember all the details <laughs> i just i love these guys yeah because we had a youth pastor that was like that for a while and it, it was like he was just looking for projects yeah you know like there was definitely like some sort of I really need something out of this yes. and uh, I need you to fit the mold of the thing that I want you to be yeah. so that I can feel fulfilled here. Cause but if you our youth pastor was like really big on, he was like a, he, he was a counselor at like boot camps for like at risk youth. 
it was like you got kicked out of a couple of schools like they'd send you to this boot camp and this dude would make you do push-ups and boot kickers or whatever whatever you call all this and he wanted to make us do exercise so bad yeah (laughs) and we were just like no dude we're not gonna do this like we don't have to do this here he was like all right let's go uh you know i want you to do 300 scuba kicks and we'd make it about like a quarter of the way through and be like yeah i think we're bored of this game (laughs) (laughs) no thanks bud wait why were you with this person did you go to this this little school for bad kids me yeah what you oh, said no, he was like he, was, he was our youth pastor you for a while. Oh, he was. A youth. I thought you were saying you were he also was, at one of his boot camps. He was a, his biggest impact on me was getting me completely embroiled in that like Arminianism versus Calvinism thing to the point where like I ruined half my friendships and yeah, and left for college. <laughs> it would have done you a lot more favors if you just listened to him and got shredded and left all the other stuff behind. <laughs> <laughs> for real, <laughs> we should have done those planks, dude. I'm yeah. glad I didn't have. When I hear about stories like that, those people who just want to like latch on to people to make their mark, to make their disciples. uh, Here's the funny thing about the idea of making disciples. It's common language in Christian circles, but ultimately what uh, that means to a lot of people is I need to make a copy of myself. You missed the point. If that's that's what you think, then this is already going to go poorly. But I'm so glad I was. I feel like I was always desperate for. To, to find that relationship with someone who would like be there and like quote unquote pour into me, whatever you want to phrase it. And I found myself frustrated often because the people that I looked up to didn't take me on as their mentor. Uh, but I, I think about like how much damage it could have done to me because I think who, if anyone did come along, like one of these crazies, like you guys are talking about, we're like, Hey, come on. I'd be like, Ah, the attention that I need. And then I would have just right. probably turned out so much worse. I would have right. soaked it all in. I wouldn't have scared yeah. him off like you, Ben. Neglect is better. It, neglect is preferable to, <laughs> to yeah. the energy that these dudes bring. Because it yeah. was it like... Maybe try harder too, right? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll yeah. these guys. Casey, what you were saying though, uh, like it just made me think of, um, basically if you start a relationship with somebody to like fix them, or like, you know, that sort of making them a project. Like if you start a relationship with them to even just solve one of the problems that they have, like a couple things happen. Either the problem gets solved and you sort of like, great, I'm done, mission accomplished, I'm out. And you move on to the next person. And then the a person who was sort of like the, we mentor, as a culture, we mentor at risk youth because they're like lonely and marginalized and like, they don't have the attention that they need or whatever, right? So if you start a relationship with them to solve their problem, once the problem is solved, you're out and there's no reason to continue. And then that person is probably just as like lonely, marginalized or whatever than when they started. Or like oh, yeah. what, hap- what happens more often than that is like th- you, the problem doesn't get solved on your timetable that you're bringing, right? Yeah. And so you're just, absolutely. you're constantly frustrated with this kid you're trying to mentor you're constantly frustrated because they're not responding to the beautiful plan you have for their life and that's just a a profoundly messed up way to relate to somebody let alone somebody who's like lonely vulnerable at risk right him 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 like cutting ties after like six weeks he might as well have like said ben 
I think you could be a nice kid, but this isn't working out for me. I thought it would, I thought it would be fulfilling by now, right. and it's just not. Right. Yeah, it's ultimately an act of selfishness. People are looking yeah. to fulfill them, their needs or what they think that they're needing. It's an individualistic sort of like consumeristic way to approach another human. But we – there's a – I've since gone after – okay, so – I went to Liberty to study youth ministry. I ended up dropping out after like three years because uh, for a host of reasons that felt valid at the time. But like I've since worked for maybe 13, 15 years in like the nonprofit sector, like helping professions, at some faith-based, some not. And this is a whole industry. Like dude who tried to say bootstraps your way to success to me, get your shit together, kid. Like he is not alone. Like this is a whole sick cycle that we have. And and the context that I've had to witness this is mostly religious people like American Christians who are uh, like trying to volunteer at the refugee ministry or trying to volunteer at the homeless ministry or trying to volunteer at the at-risk youth ministry or whatever, or the crisis pregnancy center or whatever the hell it is. But it's like, this is the predominant mindset that I have seen Christians bring into these really, really vulnerable spaces and with vulnerable people is this sort of, I'm doing this to check a box or make myself feel better or accomplish a goal. It's all individualistic and consumeristic, right? I feel like those check a box people are like, I don't want to validate them by saying there's a need for people like that because there isn't. You can get the fuck out of your own way. but. Also, when you think of like soup kitchen or where you just need someone to show up and move a product, those right. are where the check a box people can actually come in handy. They might be right. in for the wrong reasons, but if you just need and them to put do. soup in a bowl, then yeah. that's your guy. Hey, look, a lot of this volunteer industry stuff, I mean, you cannot expect to have multitudes of people who are like, you know, self-aware and examined and stuff like that show up to mentor youth and things like that. You know, a lot of what you're going to get is the people who are kind, dude, I don't know that I have the self-awareness to like go actually spend time with a kid because I want to help them. You know, like, I I don't know if I'm like, I I think my self-interest would play into something like that big time. But yeah, it's just in the, there was, that's one of the things that's like so frustrating, like looking back at, church and just a lot of what we did at church is there's like so little time talking about this stuff that's like self-development you know who are you what are your motivations how do you get to be aware of those how do you control those how do you channel what you're good at and how you feel and stuff like that into something valuable that not only is like good for you makes you feel good but it's good for the people around you and instead it's like you're a new you creation in Christ. You shouldn't be listening to that gangster rap music. Pull your pants up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have sex. I do want to be clear that there is also nothing wrong with pouring soup in a soup kitchen. They need that. I'm, yeah. I'm, t- I'm just saying that anyone can fill a need. I really feel I think like you've made your position going to come back clear. You hate soup. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. I'm gonna, if, we, <laughs> yeah. if we stop this, I'm going to be like, oh, my God. I just fix it. sound like I'm telling people to stop volunteering. Yeah. Well, at places that need them. I, okay. So there's like, I think about it as like entry level volunteer stuff. Right. And there, I think that soup kitchens, great example. So 
I think that every soup kitchen should, as a required part of their program or whatever, have their volunteers go through some like training on what it's actually like to be homeless in a city like Denver or what it's actually like to um, like, what are the contributing factors that lead to someone being on the street? What is, what are the realities of actually living on the street like? And would then invite them almost into like a next tier of engagement, which could be something more relational because the problems are not going to like poverty is poverty, not just because you ran out of finances, but you ran out of relationships that were healthy. Yeah. Like you end up homeless because you ran out of spare bedrooms or couches or floors to sleep on. And if there was um, something disruptive that could happen to change up the way that we have relationships, which is like, we're in our lone little circles are a little fragmented. Like we only hang out with people that think like us, act like us, have the same rhythms as us, same socioeconomic background as us. All the stuff that's designed to keep us like with like, right, is a is a way that we perpetuate like crisis for folks that are in poverty. But if there's like, okay, you're serving in the soup kitchen and then that's the basic level. So any old asshole can show up and sling soup, right? But then there's like some sort of, we're going to invite you into like, if you've actually want to build relationships with somebody who's trying to work their way out of poverty, here's some ways that you can do that, that help and don't harm, right? And then it's like this, this pipeline of like, and it's not going to be for everybody. Like some folks are just going to check that box and like the soup kitchen still needs donations and checks written and like all that sort of stuff. But like, then it's inviting whoever has ears to hear, like they can like figure out how to actually start some of these cross-cultural, cross-background, cross-whatever relationships. And it's the relationships that I think that are going to be super transformative, not only for the person like living in poverty, but like also for the volunteer whose life is pretty... I mean, if you're like just in that white Christian suburban circle, your life is incomplete and not as rich and as beautiful and as full as like your life could be. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's actually like a beautiful thing to be invited into for that white Christian suburban person. Yeah. Dude, I, that's, I had nothing to add. I think you said, I mean, at what point do I scream about (laughs) bootstraps? Yeah. At what point do you what? At what point do I scream about bootstraps? Like that's what they need to hear, right? <laughs> like we're essentially just building relationship. It's like a really long-term way of saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And am I am I onto something here? No. no. I don't think you should <laughs> I don't no. think I don't think you should ever uh, uh my personal approach is it's a it's a it's a big dick move to tell somebody else how they should live their life. And uh, I don't know. I feel like the people who say that the most love being told how to live. I'm not sure if you've yeah. experienced the same. I need a gospel track written by Gary V that just <laughs> says like, there's a business in all of us. <laughs> there's this mindset of like, I. it's like at church, you want to be told how to live your life. And yeah. then you go home and you want to have everyone let you live your life the way you want. It's like, yeah. the, it's like this weird, like constant, like mix of oil and water that doesn't quite work. So you have to keep, fucking shaking the bottle i guess but yeah yeah well should i get back to liberty uh yeah let's go back <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah you're here to talk to tell your story yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so you dropped out 
after you, you went to do youth pa- no no that was before okay where'd you lead yeah, us yeah. off you uh, so so i uh, so my uh, i was dating this girl through uh like my last two years of high school and then my first two years of college she broke up with me in a really uh heartbreaking way where she was like i don't think i can grow in a relationship with god while i'm in a relationship with you and everything about like the christian the christian version of masculinity had told me is like i'm supposed to lead my wife and like this was uh this was like essentially like a dagger to the like the soul right and then i was also very poor and ran out of money and uh was probably forty thousand dollars in debt uh at this point just from going to school i was working for the university for the liberty online program and I was yelled at every day about how I wasn't like shipping sprockets. Like I wasn't like selling applications for the online school or whatever. And, uh, and then was and your then, boss, Mr. Spacely. <laughs> there, I, there was, okay. So there was like, who was the provost? It was an old, old man. That was the provost of Godwin. Uh, yeah. He Ron came Godwin. in. Ron Godwin. He came like in. like a goat. He came in. And he yelled at all of us that worked for the online program because if you if you worked at the school, you would get free or reduced, you know, discounted yeah. school or whatever. I played that game too, man. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And he called all of us migrant workers. No like, fucking way. He, he in a giant meeting of like three hundred people that worked for the online school. He was like, "You're all here just to get a free degree, and none of you care about Liberty University and our online school. You're all just migrant workers coming in to pick the strawberries." And uh, and it was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I I like so crisis upon crisis. I was like, no longer sure if I wanted to be a youth. Oh, this other thing happened too. I was at a uh, my first youth internship at a big a big white uh, suburban megachurch in Lynchburg that I will not name because the, the, the most of them were great. Uh, but it's like a Thomas Road, and also by the same name. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's Thomas like a Road. Thomas Road. It's also yeah. named after a person, and it's also a street, <laughs> uh, but not Thomas Road. Right. No, it's not. Listen, I'm not going to tell you who it is. But um, I was at a youth ministry intern at this church and uh, a teenage kid came to me and was like, I hate my dad. And I was like, oh, great. We can talk about this. I've got some traction on complicated relationship with my parents. I was like, what happened, kid? And he goes, you know, my dad bought me this kind of car and not that kind of car. Oh, and- okay. And I was literally like, I verbatim dead ass to this kid said, son, that's not a problem. (laughs) And, uh, and I was just like, I hate my youth ministry internship that I'm in. I just got called a migrant worker by the provost of Liberty University. Um, My girlfriend just broke up with me. I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life. Uh, And like, what am I like, what am I even doing? And so my boss at one of my bosses, supervisors at Liberty uh, Online was like, oh, kid, like we need to get you drunk. And <laughs> I and, love those. Those are the saints at Liberty. Look, not, yes, yes. of course, that could go the wrong way. But there are the, this is what's so uh, just to cut in real quick. This is the push and yes. pull of Liberty working yes. at Liberty is like Liberty as an institution is trash. But the people, right. the people who are like who subvert it in any way, the people who know it's trash and just work there yeah. actually 
are doing life-saving work for a yeah. lot of people just by <laughs> yeah. being fucking humans there. That's right. I had That's some right. of the best relationships, some of the best friends I ever made was bonding over how much of a horse shit job we had. That's right. And I'm I'm going to I'm in one of their weddings coming up in the yeah. next few months. It's just like after because we worked together 10 years ago. Yeah. It's yeah. like yeah, this uh, this guy's name uh, still a tremendous dude. Uh, Doug Dorward is his name, and I went over to Doug's house, and uh, he uh, got me drunk on um, Pepsi and brandy. Hell of a combo! Hey, why not? Yeah, and uh, he showed me Battlestar Galactica, and then shoved me in the shower when I vomited on myself. Like that's that's <laughs> so. Uh, so it was like a dark place, but then that's when I moved in with the guys at Yeardley at the Porch Life House. Um, Which is, I think, around when we met. I think I met right. you because you were there. Yeah. So you you met me in my most rebellious sort of dark days. Like, is, is anything real? Is anything true? Is anything beautiful? I'm just going to write really sad songs and be in, be in a, like an emo band and a hardcore band and just like... So I was like dropped out of college and then was working at Subway. And then alternately when I would get let go from Subway, I would work at the dollar 85 dry cleaner. And then when I let go from That's the dollar right. 85 dry cleaner, <laughs> I, forgot about I that would place. go work at Subway. Yeah. Every, everybody worked at the dollar 85 dry cleaner. <laughs> and for a while, at least 50% of that house was working there. At the, the entire employee roster yeah. was people who lived in that house. And when our boss Meg like had to let me go because I was supposed to open the um, the the other location that was out by the Good Cherry Coffee Shop out there, and uh, when she let me go because I slept in like too too many times or whatever, she goes, Ben, if I had to let my daughter marry any of your you and your friends, it would be you. But I'm so sorry, <laughs> I have to let you go. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> That's the best way to get fired, dude. I know. I now, know. Sam, be honest. Did you feel like you were taking Ben under your wing? Is that what was happening here? <laughs> okay, no, this, oh, this is great because this has come up a lot, Ben. As uh, I felt like I needed to, like, I felt like I was a yearly missionary at times. And yeah, in what way? Was, like, were you trying to get us to be Christian still, or like, I what think, was? The I think I wanted to. I, 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 I wanted. It's weird because I don't think it was as um, fake as like the shit we were talking about earlier. I genuinely yeah. liked all the people there. I, I mean, right. most of the time I was just there having a good time. Uh, but then like it, it, that shit never left my brain though, because people would be drinking and I, I didn't drink that yeah. or maybe I did, but just not that much. So I was like, I don't get drunk and I don't know. And yeah. then, Dude, he was going to his charismatic like uh, Wednesday yeah. night Bible study group talking you about like the, un the unreached people group that he's ministering to at, Liberty, <laughs> at uh, Yearly. No, no, I didn't There's do There's 15 pairs of bootstraps there and he's trying to pull them. <laughs> they have like contests to see how fast you can like tie the bootstraps and then untie them. <laughs> it's like they come out of a wall. You have to climb a wall of bootstraps. I know, I know. Somebody's going to have to remind me to make this episode title something about bootstraps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so wait, I, do you, do you feel like Sam, that you were like, what, what was the way that you were engaging in those relationships? Do you feel like it was healthy at that point for you to try to like, try to like influence these kids that were a little bit off the rails or like, is that something you're you, proud of now? Or No, you... no, no. It's something I'm deeply ashamed of. 
No, there's a lot about who I was. Okay, this is a good actually transition to the story, and then I'll fill you in on where I think my head was at in high yeah. Um, But I've mentioned on the podcast before a conversation I had with a friend. Well, I've mentioned a few, but uh, but one of them I, I had was with you, and I remember we hmm. were talk. We you probably, if you're a healthy person, don't remember this. Um, it was like it had to do with whether or not people who didn't hear the gospel went to hell or not. And you were just like, I, I, you were kind of in the camp of like, this doesn't really make sense to me. And I was very much like X, Y, Z quote, this verse quote that this is why we're supposed to go out and reach these people. And if we don't, I guess it's on us and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it was just like really tired here. And, <laughs> and, and I wasn't even a very like, Cal- I don't know. I, I wasn't a Calvinistic person, but it had that rigor. Right. And I even remember you, I think it was probably more or less your way of just like maybe deading the conversation, but it was just like, yeah, I mean, maybe like that's it. It's hard to like argue with someone who just throws a bunch of Bible verses out. But I remember feeling like, well, I, yeah, I think I, I just remember feeling so right. And that that's a memory that I hate because it's like, I mean, it's obviously stuck with me after all these years is like walking away feeling so right and so good. And it's like mm-hmm. over the worst thing ever too right people going to hell and i think that sums up a lot of who i was even though people didn't see it and i don't i I wasn't trying to be i thought like that was what was important and i was like i would like for these people to to i would like for i just i i'll just be the person i think i'm supposed to be and maybe other people will will become like it make copies of myself i think i was just trying to make copies of myself and i was supposed to be and that that's what you were trained to be is like, hey, look, you're right, and faith means knowing for certain. Do you know you're right that about you know, that, that you, you believe know, rightly you know. about these things? But I think I didn't. I think so many people don't know that they know that they know that they know because that's a logical fallacy and you can't. But right. I think because you can't, it makes some people double down. Like I'm trying to convince myself that I believe this as much as I'm trying to convince anybody else. Yeah, and I think that's where the like, damage gets done. Is like. I could have had so much more fun. I could have like had much better relationships. And I'm thankful though. I do believe that like the people I knew then don't remember me that way. I wasn't as painfully obvious about it as I, I, it sounds when I tell these stories, but it it's not. Yeah. It's just, ugh. I, I do. Yeah. I just remember spending time. Also, I, I remember, <sighs> Never mind. That's too tangential. Never mind. But yeah, that's I, so I don't know if, um, I forget what your original question was, but oh, I do you feel good? Do you feel no? Yeah, don't <laughs> feel bad. Real bad, super bad. A lot well, of regret. Well, it's weird because it's like that's one of the um, you know for me the one of the most confusing sort of times in my life was like when we met each other, right? And you're sort of handed this is what the your progress in life this is what your plan for life is going to look like you're going to love and serve the lord i grew up in a a culture where like uh basically if you were a super christian you went into full-time christian ministry which is like being a pastor or a pastor's wife or a missionary or and a missionary's wife um and uh like so this started i think a, a like a process of sort of unraveling well the plan for life that was handed to me no longer feels like it fits me either because I've disappointed it or it has disappointed me or both. Right. Like I, I just wasn't as good as I wanted to be. And part of that is 
now on the other side of working for nonprofits that take into account things like trauma and what trauma does to a person and how a lot of the things that we do that sabotage our own lives and get, bring pain to others is a trauma response. It's like your uh, your it's the 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 cliche of hurting people hurt people, right? And um, one of the things that I realized as a kid that was deeply wounded and deeply like deeply hurt and had been disappointed multiple times by like you know, just like the pain of like the parent that was supposed to be there. And then like the life plan that you were supposed to be on of going to go be a youth pastor and you're going to marry this girl that you dated since high school and like all that. It's like, I felt simultaneously like the thing that I was supposed to give my life to, I've disappointed it in that I can't be as good as I want to be all the time. And the thing has disappointed me in that like when I do act poorly, or when I disappoint myself or maybe disappoint the standard that I feel like I'm supposed to meet or whatever, am I met with love and charity and kindness? Or am I met with like, you know, this like harsh sort of unforgiveness? And, you know, like, I, I'll just say, Sam, like, I never felt that sort of harsh spirit. You may have been disappointed that I didn't like believe the way that you wanted me to believe or whatever, or like you felt so right. And you were like, why can't Ben just get it? I've quoted the Bible verses to him. Right. But like, I never, I'll just say on a human level, I don't know. I don't remember feeling a harsh sort of like, you know, you're one of the outsiders now from you, which, which is a world of good. Even if you were like, in your heart, you knew that you were a little bit messed up and you aren't necessarily proud of it. Like I never perceived you or related to you in a way that was like harsh or judgmental, which I appreciate. Which I think for me is also a way of knowing like we were all dealing with different shit, but it was all the same boat, right? Like I'm dealing with that side of things, like almost trying to prove something to myself, uh, right. prove that this is, and I can, I know a lot of, it's funny. Casey mentioned the charismatic prayer group, but you, you knew, the watch, the the charismatic prayer group, the watch. I yes. was going to that at the time, and yeah. I, like I, I started rolling with that group where, and I became convinced almost that I needed, uh, like it's like you know when when you get it's like a phase for some people of Christian. It's like you you almost need to prove that there's the power behind it that they're telling you it is. So you're like looking for ways to make that happen. And the way you see that is in like transformed lives or people changing their mind overnight or miracles happening, and it's like. I think that 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 moment in my life, that place did a lot of good for me. Uh, it changed me in a really good ways. Uh, it brought me into like a new way of thinking, maybe about politics or social justice or like all, all these things that were paramount for me. It also fucked me up in some ways because it changed these weird expectations I had for what I should expect, quote unquote, God to do, depending on how well I called upon him. But I mean, I think, not I don't we can talk about which friend it was after we stop recording, but I'm almost positive I terminated a relationship with somebody, not simply because they were like, okay, you're just a dick now, but I, I just think I set myself up on this pedestal to a point where like when they when they they were they got to a point where they were like kind of on the same page as me. It was over the summer, all the friends were gone, so it was me and this kid hanging out every single day pretty much. Uh, and then it was like, wow, this is like, we, we got super close. It was, it was like a very meaningful relationship for me. And then 
I think even at the point where I got past feeling like someone needed to change or I needed them to like exceed or live up to whatever expectations I had for a quote unquote Christian. And then as soon as like the summer was over and everyone came back, you know, he just went back to like drinking and partying with people. And uh, I got married and that was the summer before I got married. So then it was like, that was it. Like we've, we haven't talked since. And I was like, I just, I do, I've not, so I can't confirm it, but I, I wonder sincerely if it was like, as soon as he got, went back to just being a regular person, this guy wasn't really, it's not like he was doing anything wild, but he just went back to being a regular person with his regular ass friends and just probably was like, I don't, okay, I don't think that's going to work. I, I, I don't want to feel like I have to like split my personality like that. It was too much pressure. I think I was, I, I think I essentially forced him into terminating a relationship. I was hurt by and looked back on it now as like, I just shot myself in the foot. Yeah. But well, you know, you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned though, like, okay, so we, so from your perspective, if we're going to, if we're going to tell the story, like, I don't know, I know. Lost, this is lost fun. Style. I like this. It yeah. does feel fun. Like this back and forth of how we were proceeding yeah. the same yeah. scenarios. Yeah. So like, okay, from your perspective, if you're the, if you're the main character in the story and then Ben Soy shows up, whatever, you know, like almost 10 years later, um, and, uh, we're meeting up in Boston and it feels like to you, this guy might be on the way out of Christianity. Well, you know, I think the thing that has kept me and, you know, like there's, it's it's helpful to me to make some differentiation between an institution and like who the original Jesus is and was and who the what the original way of Jesus looks like like the most helpful thing in my life has been like can i just clear clutter that's been handed to me that i've inherited from my culture from my ethnicity from uh from the region of the uh, country that I grew up in, like can I just as much as possible, and maybe this is like a Sisyphusian it'll never actually happen act because you're you try to clear away and then you realize there's more clutter, we don't say right? sissy on this podcast I'd appreciate it <laughs> Sisyphusian he's the guy that push pushes the boulder up the the mountain Sisyphus um <laughs> Greek mythology, my man. Let's be educated. So uh, you're talking to the wrong people. <laughs> uh, it's a Sufian Stevens side project band where there's a guy that raps. That's Sisyphus. That's that's you <laughs> might get, you might get that. Manas Yahoo, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so like, can I, as much as possible, like clear the, all the stuff that I've inherited and find the original kernel of like who is Jesus? And like, what is like, what are the rhythms that he invites people into that sort of stuff? And what I know about Jesus, uh, because it's like been there as a thread, even corrupted, but as a thread in the entire tradition for the last 2000 years is like just unconditional presence. It's like you go back and you read even some of the most conservative theologians when they talk about the incarnation, like what's the point of Jesus? The ones who get it, I think, are not the ones that say Jesus came to make us good people, influence us, to change us. The ones that I think are on the right wavelength and are getting it are the ones that say Jesus came to be with us because it pleased him to be with us. And like, 
So that sort of unconditional presence, no matter what you've done or what you were going to do in the future, like, uh, so, you know, the, the differentiation between either the mentor that broke relationship with me because I didn't act right, or the way that you treated this kid who like you essentially created a situation where it was like, because you went back to your godless lifestyle of getting drunk or whatever, uh, it's like the thing that I feel like has kept me connected to Jesus is that like, I know that there's just that, that, that presence. It's just primarily there. Like, like I'm there just to be with you. And that's like something that's a a reality that I'm invited into, not only with God, but that's a reality that I'm invited into with other people. That's so like, no matter what, you know, so, so right now for work, I work at an organization that houses formerly homeless families. So we're in relationship with moms who have lived on the street and have escaped abusive relationships and abusive, you know, like all the traumatic shit that like, that made you get homeless in the first place. And then the reality of being homeless is traumatic. Like there's tons of people that from maybe a certain mindset are like continuing to back, you know, backslide or continuing to like re-sabotage their life. And you could on a sort of the, the, maybe the American mindset is like, well, you have stable housing now and you should like you should not be, you know, like regressing into like your old patterns and your old habits or whatever. And this sort of mindset of like, can we just be with each other? Actually, in order for a person to change, this is like a Mr. Rogers level shit, but like in order for a person <laughs> to change, like they have to be loved unconditionally in the spot that they're in. Yep. If you if you are not given the safety to be in the spot that you're in, you're not going to actually have the confidence. You can maybe like mask up and false sort of externally change, but like in order to actually last so long, right. In order to change for the better, you got to actually just be perfectly loved in the spot that you're in. And I've seen that happen with, with families who like, they maybe backpedaled and like they got back, you know, they used again after they were trying to stay clean from drug or alcohol or they got back with an abusive boyfriend when that's their drug and they should not be like, they should not be in that relationship anymore. But it's like, if you just are present long enough and love someone long enough, that hopefully my like theory of change for life now is like, that should hopefully give them enough stability that they can start to make the steps that they know that they need to make in order to be the healthiest version. And I, that's my theory on what the incarnation is, is like, what's, the point of God trying to be in relationship with us is to give us that like just unconditionally loving presence that can then give us the stability in our lives to hopefully like become the healthiest and most peaceful and peacemaking version of ourselves. Right. Yeah. Dude, I so many things there. I feel go ahead, Casey or not. There's just a lot of things that you try to think about. I, I don't know. I mean, you can extrapolate a lot of that over the course of it, you know, from like really serious situations like you're talking about where you're talking about like a family, you know, that is trying to keep the wheels on the bus to raise their kids and to stabilize their life and, you know, to, to, to find some semblance of like happiness and stuff. But it even extrapolates down into like your interpersonal relationships with family and stuff like that, where so much of the, the model that 
that we've seen over the years and it's not just christianity it's everybody you know it's it's just a, a human instinct to be like hey i'm here for you i'm here to help you i want to see you get better come to me and do what i do and that's going to set you on the right course but you know if you insist on staying there in your your squalor and your mess that things were like before well I don't have anything for you. And like, I eventually I have to wash my hands. Right. Like you don't want help, right. you know? And that's a hard mindset to, to, to grapple with. And like, I struggle with that. Like it's, it's so easy to give up on people, but I don't know, you know, the, the, the funny thing about like, just even like hearing you, you two talk about like your interactions with each other. Like, I think we feel as people would feel a lot of pressure to be like this certain thing for the people that were around, especially when you're a Christian, because you, you, there seems like, it seems like you're the persona that you, you know, portray out into the universe has all these eternal consequences for everyone else. Like you could be the part, the thing that they see that makes them change their life for the better, or it could be the thing that they see that makes them go, I don't want to be part of that. So you feel all this pressure to be this certain thing and to be perfect in all these different ways and stuff. But really, like what you remember about each other is how that person made you. Right. Yeah. And like, regardless of whatever, you know, I mean, you're, you know, Sam, like you're clearly embarrassed about the message that you were pushing out at that <laughs> time. Right. You know, and, and I, I feel where you, you know, I feel the same way about a lot of different things, but it's the same reason that like I like even though you and I were like on different roads and had a very different idea of faith and stuff like that. Like what I knew about you is that you were sincere in in the way that you interacted with me. Like I always felt like I was getting the Sam Shipman that was real, you know, and I yeah. don't know. I mean, I, I feel like maybe I'm I'm taking this in all different directions, but like. I don't know. It's it's just hard to put like to put in practical terms like what it means to just like you're saying like just be present for someone who who is a mess. You know how do you be present for someone who's going through stuff without like constantly worrying about upsetting your own apple cart? Like you know maybe this isn't the best situation for me to be in. Maybe I should you know. Maybe this is unhealthy for me to 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 be around this type of mindset, and it's depressing, and or or I feel discouraged that this person's falling back. It makes me sad to see this person doing the same things over again. I need to pull back and distance myself. Well, it's that's hard even, to know what that looks like. Well, that's even we're taught to we are taught to only value people that we can deem useful or maybe even entertaining. Like, and we categorize this is an American thing. We categorize people as useful people or useless people. And I don't know if you've ever felt the anxiety of like, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, maybe that actually, maybe that season where I met you, Sam, where I just realized that like, I think I just carry melancholy and depression, like just as a thing. <laughs> like, I think I just like, I think I just might be a depressed, you know? And, uh, and I realized that like people historically, especially when I got into eat, drink and be merry mode, I was like, let's go. We're going to party. We're going to have a good time. We're going to be, uh, we're going to have a great time with each other. But then I, I realized that with a, in a prolonged period of depression, people that had experienced me as fun and funny and light no longer experienced me as fun and funny and light. 
And I realized that I had a certain segment of friends who were slower to return my text messages and slower to return my phone call. Um, because all of a sudden, a relationship with me was costing them something. Mm-hmm. And we just, we treat everybody like this. We treat our spouses. This is why marriages fall apart. We treat our friendships. We treat our kids this way, which is just so, this is what my parents did. You know what I mean? When like life with me and my brother and my dad got too hard for my mom. And so she left, do you know what I'm saying? And uh, like, so we filter all of our other human relationships through a lens of what uh, am I getting more than it costs me? And that's the thing that keeps me tied to the Christian story is Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to befriend in a costly way. And I'm going to invite people that want to follow me and do what I do and sort of relate to the world and other people the way that I relate to the world in a way that is self-emptying and cruciform, you know, like it's in a way that embodies like the cross, right? Which is sacrificial. Now, there are people that are genuinely, I can't maintain a relationship with them because a boundary has been crossed or like, so there's nuance to this too. But what I'm saying is like, we can't, we need to stop treating other folks in a, like a cost benefit analysis sort of way. Um, because the reality is, is that all of us are insufferable and difficult to love. (laughs) If you were honest, like if you're, uh, Sam, Sam, you're married. So if you like, if you asked your wife, she, and if she was being honest, she'd probably be like, man, like 75, 85% of the time, Sam's just difficult to be around. Right. And I mean, we got into an argument about the best way to cook steak the other night that we almost broke up over. So. That's right. That's right. It's, it's like the dumbest shit. It's quick. always funny because it's dumb shit. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's better if you cook it like this. I'm like, I don't think that's true. And then it's like, <laughs> for like 10 seconds. And then it's just like, well, you didn't even give any credibility to what I said. I'm like, I just said I didn't think it was true. I'm not. So tell me why you think it's true. You should have asked me why you think, why I don't think you're right. I'm like, yeah. But just tell me, because if I, if you thought I was wrong, I sure as fucking shit would have told you why yeah, I was right. Yeah, yeah. Like, so just tell me why you're right. It's yeah. like, it's all just basic misunderstanding and like yeah. over, but all that did was trudge up what? Like our general demeanors over yes. dumb shit yes. for 10 years. Yes. And of course everything was fine later, but you're just like, that's, it's never anything big. It's never parenting styles. It's never no. like fate. It's, it's always just like, What's, I, I think the best way to cook steak is if you do it this way. Right. right. This is so, <laughs> but like those, those tiny things that like they aggregate together, they, they pile on top of each other. And if you have a definition of love that is uh, consumeristic and what am I getting out of this, you're going to bail, right? And if you dude. treated, dude, if you treated your foster kids in that way, do you know what I'm saying? Like if you were just like, this relationship will thrive as long as you make me feel good or you make my life easier. That's just not love. That's not what love actually is, right? Yeah. Putting expectations or stipulations. You said something earlier that made me think about that. And oh yeah, we were talking about the way that you, um, the way that relationships are become with the guy that wanted to mentor you or anyone yeah. like that. We're like, the relationship is about me right. making a copy of myself in some way. But like, Right. That, but I think this this does come up a lot because that that selfishness, that self entitled, that like look what I I this sounds wicked fucking shitty, but just like look what I've done for you. Yes. And it's like so when 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 shit hits the fan and 
a teen acts like a teen or they react in a way that's expressive is expressive of their traumatic upbringing and really not unusual given their circumstances but feels like something we should be past because we've dealt with it before and i'm like and i do like you can get in your own head and up your own ass about it. just be like well you should like what do you mean i've never done anything for you it's like of course yeah. a kid's gonna say shit like that that's what yeah. kids say but yeah. like I don't know. I, I totally hear you, man. And the amount of thoughts I've had about my life, I, th- I, I will say not to, not that anyone needs, but I don't know why I feel like I want to. I've, I think about the things that you're talking about. I, I do feel like just thinking about that has trying to let those truths impact my life. Cause I'm in a similar situation as I might be maybe vo- as far as vocabulary goes, be a little traditionally Christian, but conceptually I feel like I'm on the same page and uh, I'm just like, I feel like that shit really does sit in with me because if you look, if I look at my life from the first time, like where I'm at, I mean, I've had some major mistakes as far as reading. and then something recently happened. I just, I didn't, I wasn't thinking so much about it at the time, but afterwards I was like, decided you know i'll wait a couple days to just like look we have a lot we need to talk about because um i know you're going out tonight so your friends be safe come, whatever whatever curfew time it's like and then we'll just talk about all this shit tomorrow like and it'll be it'll be fine we'll get through it and i just remember feeling like i didn't choose that because when i, I i'm not choosing my responses it's just kind of like you respond or in a way that you, i just after that i remember feeling that was different than what i might have done last and his reaction was different than what it might even if it wasn't, it still would have been fine. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a, a lot like kind of rambly, but I, I hear what you're saying in the way that like you expect that you expect change and it's not, not useful or validating. You're putting yourself out for that. You're not getting what you out of it or not seeing a return on your investment. What happened? I mean, you, I, yeah. I think thinking about what you're saying as far as homelessness, people taking those steps backwards. When Casey was talking about how our response is to, our experiences of each other was more of a feeling. I think that really hits on what a lot of this, right? It's hard to talk about these things without always trying to put a little act, right? Like, I think that's how fundamentalism was. Like, oh, well, if you just love them where they're at, they're going to, well, then they're going to not feel like they need to change. And then they won't. And then they're going to go down this. And then we're going to just be stuck supporting these people. And then they're going to be leeches. And then they're going to just take advantage of you. And it's not cool. It's wrong to take advantage of. So you shouldn't let them. And there's there's so much nuance to that conversation. We're just like, you mentioned boundaries. But then you also have to take it. That, those kinds of conversations assume that everybody's on the same playing. But there right. isn't traumas that are affecting the way people even can respond to a situation in a certain Dude, way. when I like, when I lose my shit and I'm like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I am stressed out at work. Like, um, you know what it's like to almost black out with either frustration or anger. Like, I thank God have never been a violent person that has like wanted to like punch anybody or like, you know, solve my problems in that way. But there's been times when I realize I sort of come to myself and I've been like aggressively bullying verbally my wife for like 15, 20 minutes because my lid just flipped and I like, I kind of lost my ability to keep my cool. Um, And that was because like, this is, this is something that my friends who are um, like trauma informed uh, therapists and folks that work like do social work in a trauma informed way 
they talk about underneath every negative emotion, whether it's anger, sadness, whatever else, is an unmet need. Underneath every negative emotion is an unmet need. And I like uh, my wife and I, like we had a moment on Sunday where I realized that like I've been a habitual bully to her, you know, sort of cornering her verbally whenever I perceive her not to be getting me what I need. Like I sort of get into crisis mode and I'm just like, here's what I need from you right now. And whether my voice is raised or not, I'm monopolizing her and sort of pushing her around, right? And I'm like, this is 100% not the sort of human or husband like I need to be and I I want to. You mean like a spiritual leader? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Is that what we're talking about? Yes, like a spiritual leader (laughs) who loves my wife as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for, you know, like- Amen, brother. Sometimes you gotta smite. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm gonna bring up the band. All right. Well, I just uh, finished yeah. this out here. Go. Yeah. Go for it. Let me just uh, the the my <laughs> final thought though is like the, this is this is the I'm not water actually we- rushing you off. Dude. Oh, good, good. Oh, praise <laughs> praise be. Uh, <laughs> this is the gong music. Like that comes yeah. Next. It yeah. Feels like- yeah. Okay. Go, go <laughs> so so the this is this is the water we swim in as Americans that we are taught to value people who are useful to us or entertaining to us. And we're taught to process every relationship through our own consumeristic lens. This has infected Christianity. So we will experience it in Christianity, but I've also experienced this in some of my like post-Christian deconstructed ex-Christian friends. Like we just treat people like yeah. garbage and drop people as soon as they're costly to love. It's not a religious or an irreligious thing. It's just a shitty thing that we are taught to do. So that's just, that's my final sermon point. No, you're exactly right. Well, before it was like, well, you're too costly because you're too poor and you need too much. And that housing costs too much. Why don't you get a job and work for it? And it switches to, well, you're too Trumpy. You're too conservative. Uh, It's really bothering me. It makes me uncomfortable. And now I, I need to put up these boundaries. You're crossing them by having conversations about stuff that I don't. Yeah. And every healthy relationship is one where you give grace and tell the truth. Jesus came bearing grace and truth. Right. And, and our problem is, is we either like think that holiness is only giving grace, but never telling the truth. Or we think that justice is only like telling the truth, but never giving grace. But it's like, it's just this, we have to do both all the time. I'm, I'm serious. Like with our, ourselves, it's not even just yeah. for other people. Yes. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. It, yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's do the 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 thing where I pump up the thing that I want to promote. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> We've exhausted huh? some serious huh? words huh? here. <laughs> so uh, I have a band called A Place for Owls, uh, owls like owls, hoo hoo owls. A place for owl, a place for owls, a praise and for owls. It's a, a praise. For no owls. God. <laughs> I, I've been drinking whiskey throughout this recording, and I'm 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 reaching my max right now. Okay. Hey, link it, links in the description. Okay. Yeah, a place for owls. <laughs> we are uh, an indie sort of like emo revival band. If you like, I don't know, like Jimmy Eat World or Death Cab for Cutie or the Get Up Kids or stuff like that, uh, then you will like our music, and you should look us up on Spotify. If you are in Denver, you should come see us play live. That is my hype. That's my hyping my own project. <laughs> Dude, I'm glad you're doing music again because yeah, man. I used to love seeing guys do quick on my feet. Yeah. We watched that in Yearly Basements. We watched that at Room 180. Did you, were mm-hmm. you in Room 180 group? Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I forget what happened. Oh, uh, Living Word. Yeah. House dude, shows. Ba- dude, church basement shows, uh, house basement shows. There were so many shows that happened at Yearly. Um, I was literally reminiscing about like a sad-eyed bird show in the basement and looking at pictures where uh, we opened for Wrench in the Works. Do you know that band? Oh, I remember yeah. Wrench in the Works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like I was telling the guy that plays in uh, – he's the keyboardist in my uh, current band – I was like, I don't know if I've ever topped that show. Like, that's the most rock star I've ever felt. I bled all over my Telecaster from, like, slicing my finger <laughs> open. It was the most metal I've ever felt. Wrench in the Works. Who knew Wrench in the Works? A couple that of was the guys did. Dave Smith, because uh, they were both Connecticut folks, yeah. I think. Yeah, because uh, some of them also, I think, knew uh, some of the life in your wins, too. Yes, yeah. So yeah. they would come through and play Lynchburg and a couple of the locals would be able to hop on that fun for Casey, are you still doing music, man? No. Uh... One could say he never really did music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went back and forth uh, before we started recording about how, like, I couldn't believe that Ben didn't know me. Yeah. Uh, you know, considering my prominence in the Lynchburg virginia musics you know yeah how essential and beloved universally (laughs) praised you were yeah (laughs) i was kind of like the elvis presley of the yeah uh, why not christian metalcore in okay all right all right (laughs) i want to give a quick shout out to uh while we're talking to someone who truly understands the the living word baptist church shows because they had that house yeah, it did not have it didn't have a basement. And no, I remember oh, volunteers man. going to like put cinder blocks underneath the fountain. You would go to shows there and you would feel that floor. Yeah. Just I mean, that would I can't imagine. Quake. Yeah, it was close <laughs> to breaking and you would feel that as like people would jump and mosh and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it had to be like sinking a good couple inches just bouncing. For My it. God. It was, yeah, it was. I think eventually that's why they stopped doing. Sh- this is not. It's not, it's a safety hazard. It definitely yeah, we wasn't like, zoned. For- we're like Dude. two years of termites away from like a uh, uh, national headline level collapse. <laughs> yes. Killing yeah. like like 20 college Christian kids. They're like, you know, sowing their wild oats. Dude. And I feel like I've played, I've been playing music consistently since then. And I've never experienced a feeling like being crammed into a a room that small with 50 kids and just going crazy. Like it was literally the most alive I've ever felt as a musician and the most alive I've ever felt as just somebody going to shows. Just like, and it was like, you would get on these crazy bills where it'd be a kid that goes to youth group at that church that's essentially booking those shows, right? Yeah. It's not even like, it doesn't have youth pastor's approval. (laughs) like some some sort of situation where just a 16 17 18 year old kid is just booking shows and these national touring bands like we would just be like hey when you're in central virginia come play this weird dinky youth group room you know what i'm saying and they did it which is crazy i mean i remember uh, a plea for purging do you guys remember that? yes yeah they came through and played living word and this is just a it's a living room i mean it's a living room that's completely it used to be like a parish or it had to yeah. be what maybe it had to be like maybe 900 square feet at best yeah. there's like barely the a, 
There's barely a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, barely. And that's probably because it got demolished from other, yeah. from people just beating the shit out of it. Dude, but like uh, seeing yeah. – uh, seeing you remember my epic? Like seeing them yep. at that uh, – like that was a life changer for me. Absolutely. The one yeah, that always comes was... back to me about Living Word was – you remember Reapers Are the Angels? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they were like real – they were like metalcore but real death metal. Dude, sludgy as hell. The guys played – yeah they they were they could play yeah their instruments it's very technical and like dude i remember just like them hitting this like trim picking partner in one of their songs when we were at R- living word and just feeling like like a wash in sound yeah and the floor is shaking it's like the entire building is vibrating at the same pitch and your eardrums are about to burst you know the building's about to collapse <laughs> I am now like such an old man, you know, mid thirties now. I'll like, I wear earplugs at my own band show. I'm like, eh, the, oh, the guitars, the guitars are too loud. I, I, what little hearing I have, I have to keep. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, I feel like that was like band. I feel like, I mean, now I'll just, I'll wear earplugs just going to a show, not even right. playing. You're just like, yeah. this is. Mm-hmm. Or you look like an idiot, and you're like, if you forget them, you're just the guy in the back who's in your ears. You go to the like, bathroom and get time, the, guys. You get the toilet paper and just wad it like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's a good move. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, Ben, I I actually would like to talk to you for another hour. If I need yeah, that. for real. <laughs> have me. Hey, have me back. I would. I've got a lot more uh, hot takes and and passionate pleas. Uh, on things and we haven't we didn't even talk snack foods man that's was one of my like i was hoping i was hoping that we would talk uh like have some sort of game show of like uh blind taste test this weird snack and then figure out what it is or whatever but it's not love that it's not that kind of podcast food conversation (laughs) because i I didn't realize it until you pointed out but apparently i like tweets which if, unless you have 10,000 followers on Twitter and you say something divisive, you don't really get a lot of traction. But I can count on Ben Soy to like my tweets about my hot takes on snack. Dude, I'm your I'm your reply guy. <laughs> I'm just going to be your snack-related take reply guy. And I just, I didn't realize. That's called until, being present. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I didn't realize until you started commenting on it that I'm like, oh, shit. I think the last, like, eight out of ten tweets I had were snack-related. <laughs> What else do you have going on in life that's tweetable? You know what I mean? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> I mean, I've tried real things that mean something. And they don't. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's just, for me, Twitter is just goofy shit and, hey, come to my next show. That's all yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I recently joked uh, that I was looking forward to when one of Kirk Cameron's sons denounces Christ. And <laughs> the wrong... <laughs> The, the wrong people saw that one, and it just ended up, well, again, not a ton of traction, but the only people it circulated with was, like, retweets from, like, conservative groups would be like, wow, look at this ass. Like, you can't look hear my tone. how sick these people are. You can't hear my tone. I was smiling when I said it. <laughs> so for them the stakes is still really high. I'm not oh, worried yeah. about what happens when even Kirk Cameron dies. <laughs> We'll just all be in the same place, I guess. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's good. Well, Ben, we'll talk again, man. It's crazy that it's been like seven or eight years since the last time we talked in that Boston. Yeah. This has been a blast, man. Thanks for having me on. Casey, it was good to meet you. It's good to meet you, sir. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time.